Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast. This show is brought to you by Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings at Walt Disney World. I'm Carrie Hayward, and each week I feature Disney wedding updates, money saving tips, and interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney couples. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, I am speaking with Prince and Nick of Merrily Married Videography about their wedding at Walt Disney World. And today's episode is going to be a little different because Prince and Nick, because they are vendors who work at Disney weddings all the time, they put a lot of the information and the tips they learn from seeing other people's weddings into their own wedding. And they have a ton of great advice and tips for you in planning your wedding or vow renewal at Walt Disney World. So welcome, Prince and Nick. How's it going, Carrie? This is super surreal and we're so, so thrilled. Yeah, we're so honored. Well, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your wedding and share all your great advice. Can you just tell my listeners a little bit about what your wedding was like? Yeah, it was a long time coming, a thrice postponed event uh, that began way back as an escape package wedding. (laughs) And it just grew over time. We got married at the wedding pavilion. It was a, a definite thing we wanted to have with a cast in the background. We were inspired by your wedding to have the attic as our reception space. And I guess over time we decided, you know what, let's just throw the whole, throw everything at it and have a dessert party with a ride mix in and the whole shebang. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I talked to a lot of people whose weddings were postponed by COVID and it kind of gave them the ideas and the time and the savings, time to save up money to sort of plus what their original plans were by the time they got to it. Oh, absolutely. And you know, for us, especially kind of observing other weddings and seeing, feeling a little bit like spies and seeing, gosh, (laughs) we want that. I I want that too. And it just sort of kept growing, not in a way that was uncontrollable. It was, we we tried to stay pretty sensible about what we thought was worth it and what we really wanted to put more value into for our celebrations. That's great. So we're going to go through the different aspects of Prince and Nick's wedding to talk about their tips for each portion of the day. And I want to start with the ceremony. I'd love to hear how you guys chose your officiant, because I know sometimes when you're a same-sex couple, that can be tricky, especially with Disney's list of approved vendors. And you guys were able to eventually get kind of an alternative list from Disney. Is that correct? That's right. So we noticed that uh, when we first received one of the, the approved vendors list for officiants, we had a few in mind, especially because one, it was really important for us to have someone that could be bilingual and have a ceremony that they could do, and not just in English. We did find, however, there were some on the list that, unfortunately, for uh, you know a myriad of reasons, couldn't or would not be able to perform a ceremony for same-sex couples. We were a bit surprised by that because we, I think, from the very start, we made it very clear uh, from the planning process that we were, you know, a same-sex couple. We wanted to make sure that this was as inclusive as possible and you know we we jumped on the on having a disney wedding just because it was something that we could that couples like us could have and then we noticed uh, after we let them know hey uh 
we noticed some of these vendors don't, unfortunately, when we reached out to them, uh, let us know they wouldn't be able to do our wedding ceremony. And they sent us out another one that was a bit revised and trimmed down and had a few uh, removed. And, you know, in connecting with other LGBTQ plus couples, we've noticed, you know, they might have had uh, similar experiences. And we just don't want anyone else, you know, having to do that because it, it stinks when you're planning, you know, what's supposed to be a really, really special day and then experiencing any kind of rejection from any vendors, you know, saying, sorry, you know, we just don't feel comfortable uh, celebrating your love. So, well, in the end, yes, the, the second language would be Portuguese because my family is from Brazil. They actually still live in Brazil. I'm originally from Brazil as well. So it would have been nice to have someone that could speak Portuguese. And definitely on Disney's list, there was someone that was able to. I think it was a, a lady. She was from Brazil originally, if I'm not wrong. But in the end, you know, there was this this little trouble. So we we decided to go with our friend Chris. He's just, you know, he's been there from the beginning of our relationship. He helped me, you know, plan my proposal. You know, he was there when I proposed to Prince at the Grand Floridian. So he was perfect. And, you know, he, he had a great voice. He just, you know, he, he was great, he, you know. To tag on to that, the funny thing about the efficiency that we chose in the end, these were folks that we worked with personally, and they were Disney cast members in the entertainment department. And you know how one of the rules of having a Disney wedding is you can't really have, you know, any of the characters show up. You can't have Mickey do your ceremony. Well, we had our friend Sarah, who speaks Portuguese. She got married to her husband, who's Brazilian as well. And she was there to do the Portuguese element. Chris did a lot of the English part of the ceremony as they co-officiated. And in a roundabout way, we did get Goofy and Mickey to officiate our <laughs> ceremony. Yeah, that was funny. So, and and it, that it, the funniest thing is that, like Prince said, Sarah she was not she was not even Brazilian or anything. Just because she's married to a Brazilian, she she was like, you know what, I can do this, and it just worked out. My family was really happy to have someone reading some things off the ceremony that Chris was reading in English to them in Portuguese. They felt really special. I see. And both of your officiants are friends of Mickey and Goofy at <laughs> Disney World. Is that? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly it. So friends of a friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And then the other thing I thought was interesting was you had to get a lot of approvals for some of your ceremony music. And then you also did something which I would be terrified to do was you asked them to play music under your vows. And and I was really worried about the music at my ceremony because I'd heard horror stories about them starting the wrong song or forgetting a song or skipping a song. So can you talk about how you coordinated all of that? Yes. So for the music, because we had two very specific officiants, we wanted to call back to some of their most memorable performances, let's say, at Walt Disney World Resort. And we requested a very specific set of songs. So for Chris, it was Star Wars. And we wanted to see what they could approve and what was available to play at the Wedding Pavilion. And for Sarah, we asked for some specific Main Street music from the Magic Kingdom. And it was a bit of back and forth. They had to go and see check with the entertainment department if they had the original sheet music for Adam the organist to play. And for a while, it looks like it wasn't going to be possible until uh, the day before they said they found it and they did it. And it was such, a, we didn't even tell them what their music was going to be. So it was a nice surprise for them to be able to walk in and walk down and kind of relive that magic. And now, even though they're now uh, well moved on to further careers, but it was a good way to call back to, you know, performance times. But as for the the vow song, so we chose after seeing Encanto, we 
like many people cried our eyes out at <laughs> Dos Orguitas. And we thought, gosh, that's going to be such, uh, you know, such a killer song. It's going to be, it's so beautiful. And I can't even like listen to that song and look at Nick, otherwise I'm going to start crying. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. And we asked specifically on our BEO, could we have this played, but very quietly, gently with classical guitar underneath our vows? And, you know, we asked our planner, Carol, could you just make sure that's like very much clear in the BEO? And she did. She put it in there. And when we were up there on the altar, it's uh, it sounded great. You know, it was kind of, it kind of kept, I don't want to say tempo, but it, it helped us continue forwards with their vows and our guests. They thought it was beautiful. They think they uh, they were shocked that we actually did that. It was played by the organist underneath. Like they changed the organist on like a guitar? Yes. To be honest, I think he went back and forth with a flute and a guitar, if I remember correctly. And that sounded great. But yes, it's, uh, I think he changed it. Because I was, again, I, likewise, I was also a bit nervous about what that might sound like. There were certain ceremony songs like Happily Ever After that, you know, sometimes sound really good on the organ, but I just didn't want it sound, you know, I didn't want a churchy sounding version of Happily Ever After. So we provided MP3s and dropped it into their box for them to use for very specific songs that we wanted to make sure sounded a certain way. But they knocked it out of the park with that. But can you imagine like a pipe organ underneath our, our vowels? I, I'm glad that we specified and that's interesting because they're always bragging about how, oh, this organ, we can make it sound like anything, but nobody ever does that. So that's awesome to hear that you actually took advantage of that. Yeah, and you know what? I have a feeling that the organist really likes to do that. I, I feel like they, they they felt like, you know what, this is pretty cool that I got to do this because, yeah, it's, it's not a very common thing that we see. <laughs> okay. So then moving on to floral and decor, you guys had what you called sort of a world travel slash castles slash society of explorers and adventurers theme. How did you work with Disney on incorporating that theme through floral and decor? Ah, great question. I will tell you that originally that wasn't the theme that had carried through from the first two or three postponements. Originally, the concept was, I mean, if you look at our photos, we have roses embroidered into our jackets and little rose elements carried all the way throughout we were originally considering requesting uh, the enchanted rose as our post-ceremony celebration when we had an escape wedding originally mm-hmm. so as you can imagine the original theming was beauty and the beast cut to several years later post-pandemic and nick says oh hey guess what uh, i'm not actually a big fan of beauty and the beast <laughs> So I was just doing that to please him, honestly. (laughs) But then he felt bad and he was like, okay, well, then maybe let's change to a theme that we both like. And we both love this whole society of explorers and adventurers. It's It's a Disney story, basically, that all the parks in the world are part of that. And we've been to all of these parks together, right? And it's, I think, the theme we love the most. Yeah, especially with the... The different rides and attractions like the Jungle Cruise, the Tower of Terror, Mystic Manor that all incorporate these fine folks from society. And uh, who knows, it might become a thing that Disney will focus on in the future. But yes, we switched. We did an 11th hour switch with Floral Decor. Uh, they'd originally quoted us for a lot more floral with the original Beauty and the Beast theme. And we said, we're so sorry. <laughs> Can we see options for a completely different theme? Uh, We're going a very different direction. 
The, I think the only thing that survived from the original were the requests for our napkins to be folded into the shape of a rose, which still worked out. But mm-hmm. we asked our floral design pals. We had a new consult and we requested just, you know, we noticed at Franks there was a section that was, I think, vaguely up-themed and adventure themes that had more vintage elements like uh, postcards and travel logs and uh, globes. And we wanted to see more of those. And we requested, you know, pricing for what they could do and what they could provide. And when we got that back to us, we noticed, you know, we got some pictures. They weren't, they were pretty small. And so we went and did like a reverse image search using, you know, Google, Google Lens. And we found the products online. We could see how much they actually cost. And uh, what we discovered was that there were certain things like the vintage postcards and vintage journals that when we asked, we could actually keep after the event it wasn't just a rental so we worked with disney to find out you know a couple things what items could we still provide ourselves within this theme so uh whether it was uh, things that canada's table numbers or things that canada's a guest book and then what things would be required especially in the attic where you need to have Disney doing the floral decor and you can't have an outside vendor doing that. You know, what things were required to be provided from them. And we sort of mashed it all together. And I think within that same conversation, I mentioned we were thinking of doing a bit of a special puzzle and a, a little tricky theme where our guests would have to hunt down their favors. We'll get to that later on. But it was uh, it was definitely something that we went back and forth a little bit. It required a little creativity in our end, but Disney still, you know, provided these beautiful decor elements and alongside the stuff that we provided, it was it was great. It all worked out in it. Yeah, and I think it was great. It just made sense with the attic because, you know, it already has this kind of vintage vibe to it and even the boardwalk, you know. So I think our guests were kind of like surrounded by all this vintage kind of style and theme and some of them know about this Society of Explorers story, you know, and, and it was cool. One of the things I thought was really cool was you were able to provide what were basically centerpieces, but I guess they were considered table numbers that were 3D printed castles, all the Disney castles. Absolutely. Randy David from Clark and Dagger provided us with our castles. They were great for us because they reminded us of each of the Disney castles at each of the theme parks we visited around the world. And what we decided to do with them was use them as essentially a table number base. So we still had table numbers that were uh, attached onto them, like little paper ones. So they wouldn't just serve as a centerpiece. And this was approved. Uh, we managed to look around, especially on the Disbrides and Disbrides groups, that uh, you know what other folks have managed to do uh, for their weddings and celebrations and what was passable as a table number. And this uh, seemed to work very well. And now we have a whole slew of beautiful castles resting on our cupboards at home that I absolutely adore. So then with the elements that you were able to provide yourself, did you have a day of coordinator to do all of that? Yes, we had Catherine Martell. We couldn't have done this without her. She was the one who put everything together in the attic. And I'm so glad we got to have a first look of the attic before before everything began. And when we entered and we saw everything, we were like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, this is exactly it. And most, especially Prince. Prince was really proud, I think, of himself because he planned the whole thing, including this you know, the scavenger hunt thing that I think we're, we're going to talk about later, but yeah. I, I will say that I am a little a little bit type A, if you know me. And so I sent, I sent her this specific PowerPoint with 
a diagram of the uh, of the attic and with like points as to where things should be placed and how they relate to each other and why they should be in that specific location. And I truly, I don't think I even needed to do that because when we got there to check out the space, it was perfect, like absolutely perfect. There's that temptation that you just want to take some time on your wedding day for, for, you know, if you're type A planners like me to go in and just do it all yourself. But she knocked it out of the park again. It was just such a moment of walking in and it felt like a dream. Like we just did it ourselves, but she just executed it precisely. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, let's talk about it right now. So you have set up this sort of escape room style activity for your guests to find their favors? Yes. So Nick and I, in the past, we've actually designed escape rooms. It's kind of a hobby that we have, and we like seeing how theming can be incorporated in. And we thought it was something that first started off as a tiny little spark of an idea that would reward someone if they were just paying attention a little extra bit to our invitations or to our wedding website. And I started sprinkling in clues now and again about, ooh, there's going to be a special secret puzzle by the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. And this just grew. We went and spoke with our planner and our floral decor team. Hey, is it okay if we just hid some things for our guests to find during the reception as part of their guest favors? And they said, yes, it's a great idea. They actually thought it was pretty intriguing. Uh, Of course, we didn't want to go overboard and bring in like decor elements that would contradict you know, the policies for the addict. So these were things that, you know, our paper items, our guest menus, the guest book, the card box. These were things that all had clues incorporated into them alongside the existing decor in the attic. Yeah, I think that was the the, the brilliant thing about it. (laughs) Again, Prince planned this whole thing and we showed it when he showed it to me, I was like, wow, that's that's brilliant because he literally used objects that were already in the attic and we knew they weren't going anywhere because we've seen them there for years, right? You know, the long plays stuck on the walls, you know, those discs and, and things like that. Incredible. Uh, yeah, so creative. I, I think it was a bit of a stroke of ingenuity because we got the chance to visit with one of the DVC cast members, uh, the attic to just check it out. And I took a whole lot of photos and I just crafted puzzles based on things like the license plates on the walls became math equations and the little tiny stickers that were on the suitcases or the books that were inside the room, I just tied it all in together. And it just became, I wouldn't say it was a monster, but uh, it became such a competitive element of the reception that the guests immediately broke off into factions and started solving these uh, these puzzles. It began with their little favor box on their table that had a secret message. And from there, some of them slowly, gradually cottoned on to the fact that there was a bit of a mystery happening. I, at one point, was considering, you know, slipping a little message to the violinist and asking them to play a certain song at a certain time, but that would have been over the top, and Nick pulled me back from that edge. <laughs> uh, but uh, truly, it ended up with, as they got these favors and they found them around the room, whoever found them first got to keep them. And in the end, uh, the grand prize was... Uh, Disney gift cards for the first, second, and third place that would be awarded at the dessert party. So Yeah, we gave out like $1,000 worth of Disney gift cards. They were very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Now, another unique thing you did was you guys arranged to have the appearance by Mickey and Minnie at your reception start at the beginning of the reception before alcohol service started, which allowed you to get much more interesting photographs with the characters because nobody had to worry about whether there was booze in the shot. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we know that the Disney character team does a very good job of avoiding certain things in the shot that shouldn't be there. And we also know that for a lot of wedding guests, this might be their first time attending anything at a Disney destination. So they may not be aware they can't bring a, you know, a beer bottle into the frame or you know, be chugging wine behind Minnie. Uh, and we just wanted to avoid that completely. So uh, we made it very clear that we didn't want any of those elements. We didn't want the bar to be open until after they had left or after they finished their set. And this gave, you know, I think everyone a lot more freedom. So from photography to videography to the characters themselves, to know that they wouldn't have to worry about that in the background. Because you can imagine, you know, if they show up in the very midst of a wedding event or a reception, you'll have all these tables with what could be alcoholic beverages on them, and then immediately negates the ability for the characters to show up or be shot from that angle. So by doing this, we just avoided all of that. Our guests were happy to wait. And it just gave us a bit more freedom. So it's something that I'd recommend, you know, if you think that uh, you're in a space like the attic where you want to take advantage of the surroundings and you want to just, because it might be a bit smaller, have more options for your shots and not have the restrictions imposed because of alcohol maybe being present. Yeah, then just uh, have making Mini show up first thing, right? Yeah, or just, you know, delay the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, or don't serve it like we did. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. So then do you have any menu items or cake flavors from the reception that you would recommend? Oh my gosh. So as soon, the moment they introduced pistachio as one of the flavors, I was like, okay, we got to do another cake tasting. I'm sorry. Because we had, by that point, we had already decided on our cake flavors. I was like, no, we have to do one more. So, you know, we ordered the new kit. It wasn't just pistachio. They added a few more, a few new flavors, right? But we tried all of them again. And that was our confirmation. So I recommend pistachio 100%. Everyone was like, in fact, I think that's the only regret we have about the wedding is it's not swapping the the layers of the cake. We should have had the bigger layer be the pistachio cake. You know, that's the only only regret I think I have. It was, it was delicious. Pistachio all the way. <laughs> right. So Because I think, you know, you might hear that and think, gosh, having two cake tastings? Calm down, boys. <laughs> but really... The fact that we could do two cake tastings was one thing. You know, we we saw the people online, we saw in, in the groups that they had ordered several different cake tasting kits, and we just went whole hog on that, got as many as we could. And the fact that we did two just helped us really narrow it down at the end because, you know, sometimes these, these things change over time. And so having postponed more than once, we didn't want to make a decision too early on and have it not be, you know, what we expected in the end. So the double cake tasting was key. I think what Nick was alluding to is that we had pistachio cake at the top. So pistachio, so almond cake with pistachio cream on the top layer. Mm-hmm. And for the bottom tier, because it was a two-tier cake, so the bottom tier was peanut butter cake with banana cream filling. And that was also very good. Very sweet, I will say. We should have switched it out, but the guests loved it. Yeah, everyone, when they heard that one of the flavors of pistachio, they were all like, oh my gosh, we really want to try this. And everyone loved it. So yeah, I wish it was the bigger layer. 
Now, <laughs> as for the rest of our menu items, yeah. one thing was very clear to us from the very beginning, and that was we were going to make sure that we had food that was distinctly Disney. And considering, you know, we love the food from all the different theme parks and resorts, uh, we were going to do a grand tour of, you know, trying everything out and picking and choosing. In fact, I think we heard it here on your podcast. Someone had done that and uh, I was in the car listening to us and I said, yep, that's absolutely what we're going to do too. So we went and to a, whole, a lot of restaurants, right? I think we tried like five iterations of shrimp and grits before we chose <laughs> one that we liked for the wedding, which is one of the items that I would definitely recommend because the, uh, not even shrimp and grits, we did went with seven mile sea scallops from Olivia's and these sea scallops were ginormous. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think, you know, if I could have swallowed more of those, I would have, but <laughs> for whatever reason, I didn't on the actual day. <laughs> and that's something I regret. Uh, but we also did uh, the food festivals at Epcot. And, you know, we filmed ourselves having fun going around and trying everything, thinking, you know, determining whether they were wedding worthy. And in the end, we constructed a menu at the tasting that we were invited to uh, that I think was very, very much us. And so at least we could say, you know, if anyone was going to complain about the food, which they didn't because they all loved it, we could always just say, you know, the food was 100% our story. And mm -hmm. and I don't know if you agree. I think... Yeah. Yeah, lots of these places as well that we ate, we just ate again, just, you know, just to make sure that the recipe was still the same, you know, and of course they can never guarantee that it'll taste exactly you know, how you taste it at certain restaurant, but they will try to get close to that. You're right. I think some examples of this are, uh, we are originally going to have the Pongo Lumpia from Pandora, the world of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And when it first came out, we loved that, right? We mm -hmm. That was instantly at the very, very beginning of our, uh, our wedding planning. This was way back when, 2019. Mm -hmm. We said, this is absolutely going to be one of those big hits of our wedding. And then... It seems like the recipe changed and we changed our minds. And that was replaced by not just the ever famous cheeseburger spring roll, but we decided, you know what, we want to be a bit more inclusive to more diets. We went with impossible cheeseburger spring rolls. And so they made that with impossible meat. And so our vegetarian friends could enjoy and they totally loved those, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so moving from one of my favorite parts of the wedding, the cake and the food, to the least sexy, most boring part of the wedding, transportation. Woo! <laughs> you did a combination of transportation that you booked through Disney, an outside vendor, and then you also gave your guests Uber and Lyft codes, and you did kind of a little competition to see which ones worked out better for your guests. Can you talk about how all that turned out? Yes. So I think... This is something that we notice being a, maybe a little bit of stress. If you listen back to older podcasts, a lot of folks may have had challenges with transportation. And we, considering we had multiple locations to get our guests to, were concerned about that. Mainly because my father also can't walk great distances right now. And he was also one of the big reasons why we postponed so often because he uh, wasn't doing so well over the past few years. And we just wanted to make sure that the process of being able to attend our events was as stress-free and, you know, didn't, you know, have to worry us so much on the day as possible. So we almost immediately, I think the idea of having a bus to shuttle our guests was out the window because we didn't really want that. We didn't want to have to 
have our guests either, you know, waiting on a bus somewhere backstage or having to make my father go up and down unnecessarily. So our combination was we contracted a third party vendor for these were luxury shuttles that took up to 14, 15 guests. Uh, and those were very efficient and a bit more cost effective for us. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that ended up being just about the same, surprisingly, was a limousine, which was one of those things that I think, Nick, you can talk more about. Yeah, I wanted a limo. I just wanted a limo to take you know, our families because we figured that with that luxury car plus the limo, and with you know some guests that actually drove themselves over there we'd be fine we were like okay that's all we need you know and the limo could fit up to eight people so it was perfect like i said lots of people just drove their rented cars if they were from out of town or you know the locals obviously just drove there so it just worked out yeah we had a lot of cast member friends who are local so we just figured you know what just in case uh, besides these two options in case one of them failed we'd also do uber and lyft codes so we'd seen a certain level of success with other folks who had them for their weddings. The only things that we discovered was that you can't just create an Uber code as an individual. You had to sort of make it through Uber business. So if you make your your wedding event as a company, you could make Uber codes that way. And these were so simple. We could just give these links out to our guests, see where they took them. So they wouldn't go wild and, you know, take an Uber all the way to Port Canaveral, right? (laughs) Uh, And we could see what time of day they took them. And it was so convenient. Uh, The unfortunate thing about Lyft was that we'd originally wanted to go with that entirely because we loved the look of the minivans. And for a while, they weren't available. But uh, luckily, by the time of our wedding rolled around, they were. Uh, It was just difficult. So what our guests found was that it was hard for them to find lift rides that would take them unless they chose minivans and a lot of them i guess seeing the price of it didn't choose to take those so they went with uber xls instead so uber uh, in this case won out i would almost recommend that if we did our entire wedding via uber and didn't spring for the limo or the third party uh, luxury shuttle this would have cut our costs by quite a bit but uh like nick said the limo was really special for him and his family. So we did that through Disney and they did remarkably. Truly, I felt like I was going to prom, um, but uh, it was, uh, you know, great for you, right? You liked it. I liked it. I think it was a fun experience. We got to ride it with my mom, my aunt, my cousin, my grandma. It was great. Oh, and Jess, our photographer and one of our videographers was able to also uh, tag along and get some shots over there. I thought it was great. Did you get to stand up through the sunroof of the limo like in an 80s movie? No, I did not. I did not have that idea. I wish I wish someone told me to do that. Oh, well. Vow renewal. Yeah, we'll save, we'll save that for the vow renewal. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing to keep in mind as well about the Ubers that Prince was mentioning is that you'd probably have to set the pickup location to be the DVC, the, the Grand Floridian Villas, right? That would probably make things easier. And, and we, we, ta- we thought about that, right? Yeah, because at least if you set it for, once the ceremony is finished, they typically try and turn over the space pretty, pretty fast to make way for the next celebration. And we figured, you know what, we don't want our guests to just be standing around outside. If we set the pickup point for the Grandford and DVC wing, they at least have, you know, a restroom in there and cozy couches to wait for. And Mm -hmm. uh, that worked out for a lot of people. I will say... That the reason why we ended up going with Disney for the limo uh, and like doing this uh, mishmash of 
different vendors and different modes of transportation was even as two grooms, the moment we'd set the Disney's wedding pavilion as a pickup or drop-off point for a third-party company, the price would go up quite a bit because it was, you know, almost immediately identified as a wedding event. And yet, and yet they always asked, you know, oh, yeah, so, you know, when are we going to pick up the bride? And Uh. that's when I was like, ah, gosh, I'm not going with you. (laughs) We don't don't have one in this case. (laughs) So which outside vendor did you end up using for the luxury coaches? Uh, I think it was called Orlando Luxury Transportation. I will say they were efficient. They brought our guests from point A to point B. There is a very distinct difference in the level of, I guess, courtesy and service that you'd expect. Uh, So I will caution against that. Our driver was very gruff for a wedding day, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and not towards us, towards our uh, wedding coordinator. So I call him out. I was like, hey, that's rude. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you didn't have to be mean to that. Because we loved our wedding coordinators. They were were phenomenal. And that's something we've never seen, you know, a Disney driver do. So, you know, there's that. Interesting. Moving on to the dessert party, but still talking about transportation in a way, I thought it was interesting that you guys chose to have all of your guests meet at Boardwalk Inn and then walk to International Gateway for your dessert party instead of having them meet at International Gateway because you've run into issues when you're working at Disney where the guests will get there and the party venue is not ready yet and everybody's standing around. So how did that work for you guys? Yeah, so from what we've noticed sometimes You'll have a dessert party meeting time or meeting location be just outside International Gateway. And there are restrooms there, but it is completely uncovered. So if in the event of any inclement weather or, you know, a lot of heat, your guests are sort of stuck. And if we didn't want that, especially, I mean, again, with my father. So I think for us, we want to make sure that they would be as comfortable as possible. And we'd only take them out when it was absolutely necessary. So instead of, um, even though our our meeting time was supposed to be 7.30 at International Gateway, we set that as a meeting time for our guests at the Boardwalk Lobby, fully knowing that some of them were bound to be late, which they they were. They had a bit too much fun in between our reception and the dessert party. And as a group, we were, they actually sent out, interestingly enough, the Disney team sent out uh, one of the event guides to the Boardwalk Lobby because they were aware that we were meeting there. And they escorted us over, which was, uh, I think, an extra bit of magic. I'm not sure they normally do that. I'm not sure. But then also one of our groups, because we left first in one batch, right? And then we left with a second batch, which we weren't part of anymore, because those were the ones who were late. That second batch, I'm not sure if they came with a guide. I think they did, right? They did. So I think that same event guide came back to retrieve any stragglers. But for us, it was just the fact that the boardwalk in lobby, uh, you know, was indoors and comfy and if they really wanted to get you know coffees or anything like that they could and there was an elevator to take them down to the lower level when we proceeded out towards the international gateway overall a much more comfortable experience for our guests and we just really didn't want them standing around unnecessarily because to be fair when we arrived at the international gateway there was still a little bit of a pause before we were allowed in to our space because understandably they still have to set up you know, all the food and make sure things are looking good, which we totally got. But I think the way that we timed it was perfect. You know, we didn't have to pay for security, pay for a canine. Uh, We walked in all together, uh, mostly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, fairly comfortably. That's great. And then when you got to your venue for the dessert party, do you have any menu items that you would recommend? 
Yes, the Canadian cheddar cheese soup from Le Cellier. Oh my gosh, that one was executed perfectly. And it was my favorite thing, I think. Yes, so I think that was one of those items that we were going back and forth about when we did our taste around the world of uh, of foods, right, for the wedding. Mm-hmm. We weren't sure how that would translate. So who knows? Uh, but January in Florida can be chilly, and ours was, you know, slightly on the yeah. chillier side, and that cheese soup was a hit. I think Chef Mike over at the, uh, at the Yacht and Beach Club, uh, when we went there for our tasting, he was the one that said, you know, we do a little tiny twist on it, from the city a and we actually include a little bit of bacon in there and i said uh, yes please that's absolutely going on the menu <laughs> and uh yes that was i understand actually something else that we had at the dessert party are two of our non-negotiables right so mine was zebra domes yeah same with me i would not get those out of the menu <laughs> you know it's it's one of those things that once you have them and you know you just it's like you're inhaling them they're they're phenomenal <laughs> And, you know, light enough for your guests to be able to enjoy without feeling too bogged down. And for Nick, yours was, so I originally wanted poutine, but uh, Nick's bacon-wrapped scallops won out in the end. Yeah, I think the bacon-wrapped scallops were a hit as well. Everyone loved them. And they they got, the batches just kept coming and coming. I, I had a lot of them. I actually can say I enjoyed my wedding food for both the reception and the dessert party. It was great. Truly, I think, I mean, I don't know how many you had, but I feel like I had like 25 of those. (laughs) Me too. Something around that. (laughs) Great. And then I think you guys are one of the first couples I've interviewed who used Cosmic Rewind for your ride mix-in after the fireworks. So I'd love to hear if you thought it was worth the $40 each instead of the usual $20 each. And also, I wanted to tell my listeners that you did this great thing where you announced it. It was a surprise, but you announced it at the beginning of the dessert party. So people kind of had time to get adjusted to the idea and whether they wanted to actually go on it. Yes, that was a great idea to announce it beforehand. And that was one, I think that was my my only worry for the entire day. I was like, I hope no one gets sick on Cosmic Rewind. I just hope that doesn't happen. So we told them in advance, right at the start of the dessert party, we got, we gathered everyone for a photo and then we stood up and we said, okay, we're going on this ride. It's the brand new ride of Disney World. And they were all like, woo, super happy. I think only really... Prince's dad and and mom and you know the, his sister who had a, 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 a two month old baby didn't go. Everyone else was super happy to go, including our nephews who are you know one is seven, the other one's four. He can't go the, the four year old, but everyone was really happy. We we're just worried that no one would get sick on it, but no one did surprisingly, right? Yeah, I think part of the strategy there was you know as soon as we arrived to UK Lockside, our dessert party location, this was about would you say an hour before fireworks began. Yeah, 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 just about. And Nick and I looked at each other and we said, you should tell them sooner than later, because this gives them the opportunity to make sure they're using the restroom, because that is one of those things that uh, you, you notice as soon as the fireworks are done, sometimes the event and media guides will very, very quickly shuffle your guests out towards the ride mixing if you have one. And chaos ensues as soon as restrooms need to be, you know, need to be visited. And to the, the to the detriment of some events that might you know miss out on the ride mix in right they might be like oh sorry we couldn't wait for you because you were all too busy in the restroom we want to avoid that so we told everyone make sure you get this all out of the way and out of your system before we go and also because of the walk so the uh, the fact that we'd have to you know get ourselves from UK Lockside all the way across World Showcase and a big diagonal towards a Cosmic Rewind. Uh, it prepared them 
We told everyone, however, you know, before before the dessert party, you know, make sure you're wearing comfortable shoes and things. And I'm, just make sure you're wearing comfortable clothes. We told everyone that day because it was on the chillier side, like Prince said. So right after our reception, we told everyone, hey, everyone. So we're meeting at this time at the boardwalk and make sure you wear something warm. Make sure you wear something comfortable on your feet and, you know, dress comfortably because maybe chilly. We we just wanted everyone to be comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Now, as for whether or not it is worth $40, so twice as much as the other options. So I'll preface this by saying that our original idea if let's say we, if we were denied for Gardens of Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, uh, the backup would have been Soren, yeah. Because we, I think, at least for our story, it makes a lot of sense. And in the end, the fact that uh, Cosmic Rewind at the current moment is so difficult for a lot of guests to try and get onto, and perhaps the only time many of our guests would be able to go on it for a while, that won us over. I think for the novelty alone and the fact that you know. They didn't have to do the 7 a.m. scramble to get onto it. it. was worth an extra charge, but I think what really sold it for me was the overall experience as you go through it, right? Yeah, because it feels really private. It's only your group there, and that, that feels really cool too. Because I think if you compare it to experiences on, let's say, Frozen Ave Rafter or uh, Ratatouille, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, you might be entering in you know, in between other wedding groups or while other guests are still in the park, like day guests. Conversely, for Gardens Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, as we went there, they put you in through the Lightning Lane queue and you experience the pre-shows, you know, not to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't written it yet, but you experience each step of it just as your group. And it felt so VIP. And it felt, you know, the fact that we experience this entire thing all together without, you know, I think for some ride mixins, they even shuttle you in via the exit to get you directly onto the ride. But in this case, you know, you're not missing out on the queue. You're not missing out on the pre-shows. It feels like such an all-inclusive VIP-esque experience that I would say is worth the extra charge. Yeah, our guests loved it. Everyone was over the moon about it when they left and no literally. one was sick. <laughs> so that's that's what matters. <laughs> right? Like literally over the moon, you know. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I think it was something that we we looked at afterwards and said, Oh wow, that was that was a lot for our ride, but worth it. <laughs> So speaking of entertainment, I would love to talk a little bit about the entertainment and extras you guys added to your wedding and how you chose which ones to add. I thought it was really great that you broke down the prices of all the things you were considering and the value based on a couple of criteria. So one thing you looked at was who and how many guests would actually get to enjoy the experience. Also, how long would you actually get to enjoy it for? Will you ever have another opportunity to do it, which is crucial because you can go back and have a dessert party, but it's really hard to do something where you can add Cinderella's glass coach, for example. And then also, how much would you regret it if you hadn't added the thing? So what you posted in the group that I thought was so great was you broke down some of these experiences by how much they cost per minute. So like Cinderella's glass coach costs $150 per minute. Mickey and Minnie's appearance costs $100 per minute. The wedding pavilion ceremony space is $83 per minute. Your Magic Kingdom park shoot would be $50 per minute. And the solo violinist for the reception for three hours was $6 a minute. So can you talk about how this worked out in practice, what you decided to choose, and whether it seemed like it was worth it 
based on the per minute price. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I know Nick thinks it's a bit silly because, uh, you know, I was breaking it down to this just so we can have a very clear picture of what the value is of each of these items as we're doing it. Because, you know, we we put money into our, our Disney wedding and we want to really enjoy it. But in the end of the day, who's really going to be enjoying this? Is it just for us or is it for all of our guests? Is it going to be, you know, something that we're going to really enjoy in the moment? Or are we going to think, gosh, we should have spent more time doing that. So based on that, we almost immediately we cut the coach as much as it was one of those experiences that we could only have if we did it here and just for a wedding. The fact that it, you know, we were looking at it and saying we could be flying off to Australia right now. And we chopped it out in place of other things. So having Mickey and Minnie were two of our big non-negotiables. So with every postponement, we we said, you know, never again will you ever have this opportunity to have them show up just for you unless you book, you know, a private event or a wedding. So absolutely. And the fact that they could appear together, I think the only regret that we have is that we didn't have more characters. I think it was one of the greatest value, of course, you know, bearing in mind that pricing may change in the future and be a bit more than I uh, was quoted for us. But we thought, you know what, the fact that it was an experience for us and all of our guests, and it was one of those things that was so distinctly Disney wedding, you know, we could be married for a similar amount of money at convention centers or ballrooms closer to home. But this is one of those things that would set it apart in people's minds that this was Prince Nick's day. They, you know, they had the mice show up for the wedding pavilion. We, we wanted to make the most of the space as much as we could. If you're spending that much just for that time and knowing that most ceremonies take maybe 15, 20 minutes tops, the rest of that hour you've paid for. So mm-hmm. we wanted to make sure we took advantage of his, all the photos we could. Yeah, yeah, the picture the picture point photos are really important to me and I think to Prince as well. We just want to make sure the castle is behind us, looking big. And we also did two uh, staged exits. Well, two exits, right? One was a proper exit as soon as we, you know, sealed everything with a kiss. And that one was with paddles inside the wedding pavilion and another one outside in the bridge with bubble ones, which was great. Right. Yes, we did too. Uh, so I think that was part of our, our reasoning. You know, if we're keeping this in mind that we have this space, it's just ours Let's use it as much as we can. So two exits may be excessive, but we I loved both exits. They were yeah, great. And, and we love the photos. And technically, the, the second exit was a real exit, too, because we needed to exit the pavilion. And our guests <laughs> went away after that. So <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was, yeah, you had to exit. And I think at the end of the day, you know, the fact that you can only have your Magic Kingdom Park shoot as a Disney groom or Disney bride, that was one of those things that we figured, you know, bite the bullet. We got to do it. And truly, the best value was that violinist. I think I waffled on the idea of having a full quartet or a three-piece. But the clincher was that your violinist, whoever you get, if they can play on request, that is such a, you know, such a game changer. And for that pricing, uh, definitely worth it. Yes. And keeping in mind that we cannot have a DJ in the attic, right? Um, Well, you can, but they can only play like lounge music. And, you know, gosh, we didn't want that. (laughs) 
Okay, great. And then the other interesting tips that you offered that I would love to share with my listeners were around communicating with the planning team. So some of the things you mentioned, making a PowerPoint or a slide presentation or multiple presentations to communicate your ideas and your theme, making bulleted lists when you're asking questions over email, when you're unhappy with something that they're telling you you can't do asking for an alternative that you're willing to have, and then also making sure that everything is specifically written in the BEO and that somebody in your party or maybe your day of coordinator has the most updated copy of the BEO on the day of to make sure that everything is going correctly and they can point it out when something isn't. This was something that we learned, or especially I learned, over the past couple of years of planning it. We were bounced around to several different planners and uh, consultants and, you know, everyone's style is a little bit different, but what I found most consistent was that what they're looking for are, you know, the nitty gritty. So feel free to, to, to lead in, in a bulleted list of this. So food or outfits or transportation, and then, uh, going into the details afterwards. So that way they can go back and forth and immediately scan through the emails and it was just so much more efficient to communicate that way than sending over a wall of text and our grievances, which were few. But still, uh, we just thought, you know, if I was receiving this and I wanted to look through and just physically, like if I could, check mark as I go uh, reading this email, uh, this was what I would appreciate. And it seemed like it worked very well uh, with our, our planning team. They got back to us fairly quickly. In fact, I mean, I think the fastest we got an email back was within a couple hours with the bullet list. It was like, yep, done. We'll take care of that. Done. Oh, sounds good. I'll note that. And and it was surprising to us because, you know, uh, we've heard stories of communication being a struggle for certain brides and grooms, but this worked out very well for us. And uh, like you mentioned, the PowerPoint or, or slides were so key for us. I think there was a, an era or there was a time when uh, a lot of folks would be more inclined to send over Pinterest boards, which, which are great, but they're kind of a scattered whoosh of right. your mind space of what, how you want things to look. Whereas, you know, having an ordered deck or slides by its own nature has to tell a story from slide one to slide two. To, as you go with each of them, you're kind of getting a sense of this person's mindset or this bride or groom's mindset. And I figured you know what, by introducing it this way, they can see the reasoning why certain elements tied to others and why we want to have things a certain way. So that was very, very key. We, I think I made PowerPoints for everything. And for the things that they did say, unfortunately, we couldn't have, I mean, we made certain requests throughout the planning process that unfortunately they had to deny because it wasn't available. I think it's not being afraid to follow up with oh, thank you for letting us know, but would it also be possible instead to have this? And this was something that allowed us to have certain things like the elements at a reception uh, or even Cossack Rewind. I think from the very start, they said no. And uh, we said, oh, we're happy with Soren, but we'd be happy to continue being you know, notified in case it shows up. Or for, uh, let's say, rain backups, knowing, you know, having lived in Florida for for quite some time, we know that the weather can be temperamental. And so we kept putting in requests saying, you know, gosh, we would not love to have World Showplace at Epcot. Uh, is it possible to have the restaurant in the Morocco Pavilion instead? And offering these alternatives, 
makes it easier for them to work with it as opposed to just a flat no. And I think uh, in our experience, especially having our, our planner, Carol, uh, she was so good about noting everything that we said on the BEO, almost word for word for how we said it. And we made sure that you know everyone that was part of our day especially the folks that would be with us the most. So namely photography, videography are some of the vendors that are with you from start to finish. And with them to have that, so you could reference that uh, was so key, just in case anything, you know, anything doesn't turn out the way you planned and you can have that to look at. That's great. Okay. So then I do want to talk about that. Did anything go wrong or just not turn out like you planned? What What do you think, Nick? Not to me. I think to me, everything was perfect. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to jinx it or, but, you know, on the day, but everything turned out very well. I, and the only things, obviously, you know, the pandemic and uh, having to postpone was not the most ideal, but in the end, it worked out for us. Except for the rude driver. Yeah. For, the, for our sure, guests. <laughs> sure, the shuttle driver. If, if that was it, then great. I will say, beyond the no hiccups on the actual, oh, no, there were, there were. So uh, leading up to the wedding, uh, you know, there's a lot of planning that went into, I think we were very clear, you know, we are, we're grooms, you know, there, there is no bride here. We are part of the LGBTQ plus community and it is still a little bit new, uh, especially for Disney weddings. And you hear all, all the time, you know, folks have that story where they are young, they're visiting Walt Disney World, they see a bride, they have that dream of, you know, having a Disney wedding. And, you know, I also saw the same bride, but, you know, it was almost always a reality. Gosh, that would never happen to you. You know, that's almost an impossibility. And for us to even be able to have this be something that we could plan and have and and celebrate and have our families be happy to be there to celebrate was just mind-blowing for, you know, eight-year-old Prince. And so along the way, for us to encounter situations where, let's say, I was referred to as the bride on documentation or, you know, on both occasions, getting our cake tasting kits, them requesting the bride's name and they can't find the kit because there's no bride there. And I had to Mm. explain to them, it's like, you have to come out again and again, just so they realize, yep, uh, two boys. And by the way, these people are, you know, just staff of the Grand Floridian, you know, people like that, but, you know, still. Yeah, I mean, I will say the Disney Weddings team did a fantastic job at being inclusive, despite any hiccups out there. Uh, in fact, they reached out to us to talk about changing the planning kit that they get sent out to couples uh, to be more inclusive, because there are things in there that are so restricting, for even, even down to, it'll say bride's entrance or bride's music, and we didn't enter that way. So what would we put down? Do we cross it all out? Do we just, mm. you know, white out that part? And we sent back all of our notes and we spoke with them in person. And it was such a constructive experience that we were so happy to be a part of. Because I think in my mind, having been through it, and since it might be still very new, I don't want other you know, couples within our community to feel like they shouldn't have a Disney wedding because it might be a negative experience. I want them to feel like, you know, we're being so celebrated here. And it's one of the places where we could do this and feel safe. I'm hoping that us being able to do this and having other kids out there riding the monorail, seeing us leave out the wedding pavilion, you know, see two grooms and have that moment and think, gosh, you know, this won't be such an impossibility for them. That's wonderful. 
So what ended up being each of your favorite memories of your wedding day? To me, it was just during our vows, I cried a lot, like a lot. Um, And I wasn't expecting that. I'm usually, I'm very emotional, but I didn't think I was going to cry. I cried a lot. Prince's vows were beautiful. I kind of winged to the end of my vows a little bit. And I was happy I did um, because it just, you know, came out of the heart right there. That was, I think, my most favorite part. And then the second favorite part for me was definitely when Mickey and Minnie came in and just looking at everyone's faces, so happy and so surprised. Yeah, that was just priceless. <laughs> I think for me, my favorite memory was just before the ceremony began. I was, I think everyone was saying like, Prince, like chill out. Like, you know, I was, I was stressing a little bit, but more because of everything that was to come post-ceremony. You know, like I'm hoping everything looks good, hoping everything <laughs> works out. But no, our our nephew Liam was there and like he was just there talking to us. And I was like, hey man, do you know what's going on today? He was like, yeah, you're getting married. And I was like, do you know what that means? Like, yeah, you know, you get to be in love. And and that was that was so cool. Like he's yeah. such a little kid. And he walked down the aisle all by himself with the rings to the Mandalorian theme and super happy to do it. And honestly, again, you know, surreal moments didn't think this would ever be a thing for us he honestly calmed me down i'll, I'll tell him when he's older you know, that <laughs> yeah. was like a such a cool moment yeah that was a beautiful moment that's wonderful well prince and nick i think you've both offered great tips for anyone who's interested in getting married at walt disney world and i appreciate your taking the time thank you so much carrie honestly after listening to your podcast and reading your guide for years and years and years this has truly been such a moment that we'll always remember Yes. <laughs> That's our show for today. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward, inviting you to join me again next week for another episode of the Disney Wedding Podcast. Past shows and tons of photos for each episode are available on my website, DisneyWeddingPodcast.com, or listen in your favorite podcast app. And for instant answers to all your Walt Disney World wedding questions, check out Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at fairytaleweddingsguide.com. <laughs>